This is Wealth Curve Talk with John L. Smallwood, certified financial planner and president of Smallwood Wealth Management. With more than 30 years of experience in helping people with wealth management, financial planning, business ownership, estate planning, insurance, and more, John's here to share the news you can use to improve your financial confidence. Now, best-selling author and six-time five-star wealth manager award winner, John L. Smallwood. Hey, it's John Smallwood from Smallwood Wealth Management located in Red Bank, New Jersey from the Wealth Curve Talk podcast. It's early January and coming out of a 2021, getting ready to focus on 2022. And like any year, you're going to be hit with a whole bunch of obstacles that come out of the gate. I personally had, you know, had a wonderful ski trip, ended up with some COVID, fully recovered and moving on. Family members had it. Everybody seems to be good. The reason I'm bringing it up is every single year we're going to be hit with obstacles that are going to take us off of the goals that we've set for the calendar year. And I'm going to talk today specifically about financial goals, right? We all have them. We want to accumulate a certain amount of wealth, and then we're going to be good. We're going to retire at this age, and it's all going to be good. And the reality is those are not necessarily true because there's going to be events and obstacles and things that are going to impact that. It never it never ends, meaning it's just constantly something coming from somewhere that we didn't plan on, we didn't think about, we didn't have a contingency factor for, nobody told us about it, etc. So it, one of the things that I want to think about is a great way to really enter 2022 in a strong way to hit your financial goals is to get really clear on what happened in 2021. How much income did you make? How much taxes did you pay? Meaning not just, you know, federal, state, the FICA, the Medicare, you know, dig into what came out of the paycheck, what you may have to pay, you know, coming up here in April, as far as the taxes, get a really accurate picture on what your tax picture is. How much money did I save? And where did I save it? Did I pay down debt? Did I put it in my 401k? Did I max out the 401k? Did I get the maximum match that's available? Did I go 401 Roth? That opportunity still exists. Did I put money into savings accounts? Did I put money into equities? Did I put money into stock option plans? Where did I put money? There's a myriad of different forms of savings. We have um, a lot of resources on where savings is and how much savings that you should be doing. But the key is, what did I do? Okay, and understanding where the income was, understanding what the tax exposure was. So the first thing is, did I maximize my income from all sources? Did I get everything that was available? Did I maximize bonuses that were available to me? Did I, you know, hit the overtime allowances that I was going to have? Did I get the maximum amount of income that I could have received in the calendar year? What's my tax liability? What percentage of that of my income is it? And, you know, could I shave a couple points off that? You know, maybe if I'm paying, you know, effective bracket versus marginal bracket, let's just say the effective bracket is 21%, but your last dollars, your income came in last year at married filing joint over 329,000, well, that jumps you from 24 to 32%. So all those dollars over 329,000 were being taxed at 32%. 
is there something you could be doing to knock that taxable income down? Did I maximize the qualified business income deduction that's available if I'm self-employed? QBI, 199A deduction. Did I, you know, New Jersey and other states have what's called a BATE tax, a business income alternative tax that allows pass-through entities such as S-corporations and partnerships, et cetera, to pay tax. The state income tax that they would normally have available on their you know, New Jersey tax return before SALT came up, you can pay it and get a deduction on the corporate level. It's a kind of a workaround for SALT. A lot of people don't know about it. It's being missed often. It's being undercapitalized, underutilized. But it's like those little moves, how much tax savings could I end up with if I optimize that properly? The only way to know that is to figure out what happened last year. And am I prepared? Is my strategy correct to minimize taxes going forward? So let's say the effective bracket was 21, but you didn't maximize you know, 401k or, you know, profit sharing contributions or QBI deductions or bait deductions or the myriad of, you know, mortgage interest deductions and charitable contributions and what's going on as a result of that. But like, if I could drop that from 21 to 19, that's 2%, let's say I make $200,000 a year, well, that's $4,000 of money that's not going to Uncle Sam. And if I was saving 10%, 20,000, and now I could push you know, 20, that 20 plus now four, so I got 24,000. I just dramatically increased my savings rate by 20%. That's powerful. That has long-term effects. You know, many of you have my, my book, It's Your Wealth, Keep It. It was, a, it was an Amazon bestseller at one point. And chapter three is all about savings rate. And chapter five is all about taxation and how it destroys wealth. And these are things that you can come to the website, book a meeting with us. If you book and hold the meeting, we'll give you a free copy of the book. You can buy it directly on Amazon. Uh, you can probably buy used copies on Amazon. If your friend hasn't read it and it's on his end table or her end table, you can probably pick it up and they won't notice. Um, but the idea is it's about optimizing the income. It's about optimizing the tax, meaning optimization of tax. In my mind, I always think about more and more and more. In the tax side, it's the opposite. Reduce, reduce, reduce. And then in the savings side, where did I save money? And how could I even prove that savings, right? And is it going into the right places? Is it exposing more of my money to taxation as I save it? Am I creating unnecessary taxes? Am I utilizing my lost carry forwards that I may have? These are things that people don't really understand, but it's when you look at your tax return, it's all there, right? This is a perfect opportunity to rethink and redefine your debt structure. Interest rates are at historic lows, but you're seeing a lot of strategies that are actually, the you know, we did a podcast years ago called The Five Rules of the Financial Institutions. And, you know, to summarize that really quickly is, Financial institutions, mortgage companies, banks, et cetera, you know, all of them that we deal with every single day, their mission in life is to get as much money from us as quickly as they humanly possibly can and hang on to it for as long as they possibly can. And when we hit retirement, anything we have accumulated with them, they want to dribble it out to us. So because uh, you might run out of money and the longer they hang on to the money, 
it's better for the financial institution. They're able to lend it out more. They're able to you know, have it in their portfolios and collect investment management to get more money under management, to have more power. And the idea is they're making a lot of money with our money, but are we maximizing that opportunity? So what I'm seeing is a strategy out here often where people are going, hey, I could take my 30 year and turn it into a 10 year and have the same payment. I'll be done in 10 years. But the reality is you're giving more money to the institution they're hanging on to that money. Once you give it to them, in order to get it back out of your house, you'd have to refinance it in the future or sell the house. And that's not necessarily something that you wanna do. Cost of money is super cheap, right? And your money's locked in the house. And what happens is people end up having to refinance. So think about this, it's 1972, and interest rates are 3.5%, and you take a short-term mortgage and now it's 10 years later, it's 1982, and you gotta put your kids through college and all your liquidity is in the house. And now mortgage rates are 10, 12%. It really wasn't a smart idea to pay that off. We might see something like that happen, but we were thinking about strategic here, right? So how do I take this debt structure and maximize the tax benefits from it? How do I put myself in control, which is, pay it off over a longer period of time despite having interest, okay? What can I do with that money over the next 15, 20 years, 10, 15, 20 years, by having it in my own financial strategy outside of that other area, right? Because there's more things that I have to accomplish. And that really comes down to understanding what your macro view is. But these are things that we don't necessarily wanna do. We don't wanna accelerate them, right? And I think the thing at this time of year is a really important thing is to understand where did the money go in the household? Where did I spend money? How much money did I spend going out to eat? How much did I spend on shopping and clothing and utilities? And how many streaming services do I now have? And what's my you know cell phone bill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these are things that we need to kind of float through and understand where did the money go? How much enjoyment did I get for that money? I always talk about a thing called, it's pretty, pretty dry because it's an economic term, but it's called the margin of utility, and which is a measure of enjoyment in the dismal science of economics, right? And it comes down to a thing that they call utils. If I got a lot of enjoyment from something, it's got high utilization, it's got high enjoyment, it has large utils. If I didn't get any enjoyment from it, then it has low utils. Right? So the, so the key is being really tough on your savings, on your spending rate, right? Being really tough on, on that budget. You know, people are being forced right now or they're being squeezed by increasing gas prices and home heating costs and beef costs and chicken costs and inflationary rises. So it's really important to really dig in and understand you know, where the money's getting spent. If you don't use anything to track your expenses, some of the large banks where you might do banking have you know, budgetary tools. A lot of the credit cards can tell you exactly where your money was spent. They have a wonderful report. You can print it out, uh, for, you know, an annual report. It breaks it down by category, breaks it down by vendor, breaks it down by everything. When I, uh, we do this periodically and I was surprised I like Starbucks and I was surprised how much money I spent at Starbucks in a 12 month period. Um, you know, do I need to do that? No, 
Do I like doing it? Yes. So when I want to do it, I do it. But being aware of how much enjoyment you're getting from something is really important. You might have 10 streaming services, but you watch one, but you're not getting the other benefit of the other nine. Do you need all nine? You don't, right? So what we want to do is we want to go through the budgets, we want to go through the cash flows, we want to go through everything and understand where you spent money. And if you don't do anything now to track it, there's financial software that you can buy. It, you know, Most of them will download about 90 days of expenses into it. You spend a couple hours getting it organized. And then each time you go to you know, your favorite store, if you put the right tools in place, it'll remember, okay, that was clothing, that was groceries, that was gas, that was this. And you know, at the end of the month, you can get a, you know, within three, four months, you can have a pretty good picture of six months of spending. And the key is the lifestyle is something that I really want you to think about this. Your lifestyle is your lifestyle. You're going to have this lifestyle for the rest of your life, right? So you want to spend the money on the things that you love best and that you love doing. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's just a matter of, do I love doing it, right? So on this, if you're not getting full enjoyment from what you're spending, eliminate it, find a way to reduce it, find a way to get out of it, find a way to get rid of it, minimize it. Like I had, you know, years ago, I had a couple who were retired and we figured out they were spending 43% of their budget, 43, 43% was spent on the house. And the spouse, the wife said, I'm not getting any enjoyment for that. Like, I like the house, but it's not like, you know, I want to go on vacation. Like, let's figure out a way we can drop that to 20. And, you know, that was the decision that they went through and made a whole bunch of decisions based on that. But, you know, a couple of years later, they're a lot more happy because not all their income is going to, you know, service something that they really don't get a lot of enjoyment from. And they're able to travel more and do things. It all comes down to that. But if you don't track your finances, part of that regular thing should be an easy way to do it. Even if you buy like some online service or do something and you track it and it all comes in as miscellaneous, you know the quantity or the, the amount of money that was spent at the end of the month. You know, if I'm making $100,000 a year and my budget should be, you know, $3,500 a month, but I'm spending five, well, now I know why I'm not saving any money, right? Because I'm just spending too much money on an after-tax basis. Well, where's that, where is that five? And what can I do to take that five and get it closer to four and still have the same enjoyment or utility or utils, okay? Super important, okay? So as you start to think about this, that lifestyle is the thing that you want to maintain for your entire economic life. If you're 50 years old and you're gonna to live to 100 plus or minus, that lifestyle and everything that goes around with it is what you sort of want to maintain. That's the way you want to live. Like, but what makes up that 5,000, right? What makes up that 10,000? A lot of times, it's something that when we look at it, we can rewrite it, redo it, rethink it, re-envision it, and you know, get the same enjoyment, but now go from spending, in that particular case, 5,000 to 4,000. Now you got 12,000 a year freed up to go somewhere into your savings plan. That's powerful. And there's enjoyment in that, right? But when you start to think about the impacts of inflation on lifestyle, 
and the higher this current inflation rate is, you know, it's not going to stay here, right? Are the prices that we have going to stay level or stay at this elevated level? It could. Uh, I don't think we're going to go into a, a deflationary environment. We could, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's more of modest increases from here, but we have this like new ratchet, this new reset at this higher level. So that, but if I continue to compound that at two or three percent, and I get a five percent every once in a while, it's been thirty-one years since we had a five percent inflationary number, right, or over five, right. But when you start looking at ten and twenty and thirty years those numbers become very big. And the wealth that we're accumulating in our savings accounts, in our retirement accounts, in our annuity accounts, and in life insurance accounts, and stock brokerage accounts, and 401k accounts, and real estate, and rental properties, and businesses, that all has to keep pace. That has to grow at a number that allows the withdrawal rate to be at a reasonable withdrawal rate so that I don't run out of money. I mean, that's the biggest key is, are my assets allocated and spread out between not just stocks and bonds and cash, what's the element of guaranteed income that I have? Do I have pensions? Do I have uh, you know, things that are gonna provide guaranteed income regardless of the outcome of the market? Because I don't really understand what the future sequence of returns is going to be. We don't know if we're gonna get another, you know, five years of 20% plus compounded returns, or we're going to get, you know, five years of down 20%. Both of those, you know, are pretty, you know, one's wonderful and one's horrible, right? But the reality is there's a lot of financial pressure out there from inflationary hedges, from rising interest rates, from uh, potentially rising tax rates, etc. But it's, is the assets that I have, are they in the right location today? What can I do to reposition them to reduce risk? to reduce fees and costs, to reduce tax impacts, and to set it up so that it has the income that I'm gonna need in retirement so that I can maintain the lifestyle. It's not about how much wealth I accumulate, it's how well I live within my means and how I you know, retire within my means and maintain my dignity and keep the amount of wealth that I have. And ultimately, if I'm successful and I do it right, I get to pass on a significant amount of wealth to my family. It's a wonderful thing when we do this thing correctly, okay? And then you gotta think about what are all the obstacles that are coming up, financial obstacles, you know, financial pressures that are coming within the next few years. Like I have my fourth child is entering college in the fall. I got one graduating, we've got a wedding in the fall. These are all financial pressures. They're wonderful events, but they come with, you know, attachments, right? Financial attachments. And those are things that, you know, we need to be aware that we've positioned money properly so that we can enjoy them the way that we've, you know, set out our goals years ago to actually do. I joke that the timeline moved up on the wedding, you know, it's a little sooner than I thought it was going to be, but it's, you know, it's a great thing and it's going to be a fun experience. But like everything in life, college, marriage, life, daily life you know, weddings, it costs more and happens quicker than we think it's going to happen, right? So it's getting, you know, what are the things? You know, what are the weddings? What are, you know, are we going to inherit money? Am I going to inherit money the right way? Is it going to be protected from potential creditors? Is it going to be protected from future inheritance tax? 
There's some significant tax laws today that are wonderful that could be unwound that makes you know future inheritance and passing wealth much more difficult for for most people. And those are things that we want to make sure that we fully understand is, am I prepared properly today? What steps can I take today to maintain control, but to get things out of my state and get things out of my you know potential creditors, et cetera? And then how is the wealth protected? Do I have the right trusts? Do I have the right amount of life insurance that's going to be here upon my death? Okay. Do I have long-term care insurance? Do I need long-term care insurance? Do I have disability insurance? I mean, the most important person in the room right now, either you or me listening to this podcast, I'm my most important person. If I became disabled yesterday as a result of my, you know, the illness that I recently had or, you know, my ski trip that I had or, you know, just crossing the street, it, will my plan continue and will my income continue if I can't work? Am I properly protected? I'm 53 years old. I mean, stopping right now is something that is possible, but not at the lifestyle that we've set up, right? Because of all the things that we're doing. So how long would that money last? That's a decision you need to know for yourself. We have a wonderful disability report that we can run for people and a long-term care report and a life insurance simulation that says, based on where I am right now, if either one of those events happened, how long would the money that I have last? And is that appropriate? Is that what I want to have happen if I were sick or disabled yesterday or dead, right? How well is protected from a property and casualty standpoint? Do I have the right umbrella? Do I have the right liability limits? Do I have, if I'm a business owner, do I have all the right buy-sell agreements and LLC agreements and funding agreements? And what are the covenants that are on all the loans that I've signed off on if I have loans in my business? These are things that we need to truly understand and make sure that the wealth is protected properly because if you're a business owner, the number one goal in a business is to get as much money out of the business along the way and then eventually sell it for quite a bit of money so that you can continue the same exact lifestyle. If they didn't save enough money in other places along the way, they're not gonna have enough money, right? So the key is understanding as you go through this, what are the things that you love about your plan? What gives you concern? And what do you think the most important 90-day actions are? If you go to the website, there's a eight steps to financial success guide that you can download, okay? It's all there for you. On the website, you have what we call a wealth curve pressure conversation, okay? Which is a 30 to 40 minute free, no obligation conversation with one of our advisors to talk about exactly what we just talked about specifically for your plan. And, that you could sign up for free. If you sign up for one of those events and you hold your appointment, we will send you a free copy of It's Your Wealth, Keep It, my book. There's the podcast, so subscribe to the podcast. There's a YouTube channel with a lot of videos on it. There's a lot of resources on the website to help you make these financial decisions. Our job, our goal as uh, as a certified financial planner, as what I like to call a senior wealth advisor, as a wealth curve person who's helping you increase your wealth in the wealth curve. So we have the wealth curve blueprint, which is a snapshot of where you are. And then we take that and we create what we call a wealth curve scorecard, 
which basically says, how do I stack up? Am I in good position and good standing? These are things that we will do for you in the planning process and make sure that you're on the right track. Look forward to hearing from you and seeing you soon. Hopefully you found this of value. If so, share it with a friend, uh, subscribe, post it on social media, anything that you can do to spread the word. I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything. It's your wealth. Keep it. The best-selling book by John L. Smallwood, the definitive guide to growing, protecting, enjoying, and passing on your wealth. Find it on Amazon now or go to smallwoodwealth.com for more retirement resources. Wealth Curve Talk with John L. Smallwood is brought to you by Smallwood Wealth Management, an investment advisor representative. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action as information and or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, misleading, or defamatory statements.